0: Hello and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org.
1: I don't know if you've noticed this. I've noticed this. I'm sure you have noticed. It seems like everywhere you go, somebody's asking you to give. You go to an inter- intersection, somebody's asking you to give. They're in hard times. They want you to give. They have a you know, they're a firefighter, they give you an empty boot, and so we want you to give. Uh, a nephew calls you, got something going on at school, wants you to give. But now it's not even that. You go to Panera, Target, grocery store, whatever, they're like, you know, do you want to donate to the children fund? They don't even say what children, they just say the children fund. And it's like, okay, you know, just you give there, do you want to round up? Um, I don't know, it depends how much, you know, I got to round up. And, and, um, and, you know, or like, you know, like yesterday, you know, I'm at Walgreens, and it's like, do you want to give one dollar, you know, three dollars, or five dollars to, you know, the, you know, disabled veterans? And they've got pictures up, and Sarah McLaughlin's is playing in the background, and all you, and you're just like, it's this moment, and the guy's like, there's a lady next to me, and the guy's like, hey, do you know, do you want to give one dollar? I mean, he's like, it feels like he's talking at the top of his voice, like he's, do you want to give one dollar or three dollar? And he, she's like, well, you know, I'll give one dollar. And excuse me, do you want to give one dollar to the and. She's like, okay, you know, $3, and, and you're, it feels that way. You're, you're in that moment, you're at a grocery store, you got $350 worth of groceries, and you chose plastic, not paper, so you're already feeling bad about yourself, and, and you feel like, man, I'm, I'll give, but I, I feel cornered, I feel manipulated, I feel, I'm doing this just, you know, I want to I wanna get out of here with some dignity. I want to get out of here and not feel bad about myself, so I give a few bucks, well, I just want to say that if you're, you're new to Christianity or you're confused about Christianity, that when, uh, when the Bible talks about giving, that is the exact opposite of the kind of giving that God would want to invite you into. Um, God wants you to be a cheerful giver. God wants you to be an eager giver. God wants you to be a proactive giver to increase your joy, not a reactive giver to decrease your shame. So today I want to talk to you about being a cheerful giver. And my hope today, my desire today is that you will not only want to be a cheerful giver, but you will be determined to live this way for the rest of your life. Sound good? All right. We are in the second letter uh, to the Corinthian church in chapter nine. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn there. I can pronounce all these words, so I thought I'd go ahead and read it myself. We have it on the screen just to prove it, that I can do it. Verse
0: 5.
1: I love you guys. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised This is interesting. So that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction. And so here's the context. Um, A year before, this church had said, we want to give to Jerusalem, this church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had fallen on really tough times. Persecution was ravaging the church. People were being imprisoned. People were being killed. People were having their property destroyed by uh, men with big knives, and, and they were being dispersed from their home just leaving their home. I mean, not too dissimilar from what we've heard from like the Ukraine or for we us to talk about our brothers and sisters in places like Pakistan that we've given to before. And the church in Corinth was living large. And so they had promised, hey, we, we love these brothers and sisters who are experiencing persecution. We wanna help them. We're gonna give them a gift. Now, this is Paul's letter to them and says, hey, you promised to give this gift, but you never gave it. And I'm coming to receive the gift that you promised to give. And he's putting two and two together. He's like, I, I, I can imagine when I come, you may feel like the, the, the poor woman at, at uh, Walgreens yesterday. You may feel like this is an exaction. You may feel like I'm coming to take from you. And I don't want, I don't want this to be manipulation. I don't want to be the song and dance. You know, the, I don't want to crank up the guilt. That's not what this is about. This is about you doing something that brings you Joy, not begrudging. This is not a have to, this is a get to. This is the context he's talking to. And then he adds kind of a practical thing to kind of frame what's happening here. He says, the point of this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Like a farmer, the one, uh, the one who gives money away has to have their eyes on the future in faith in the process, Uh, and so a farmer initially decreases his supply of seed. So he decreases his wealth. He, He decreases his seed in hope for a future harvest, and the more seed that he lets go of, the more harvest that he'll have. If he lets go of a little seed, he'll have a little harvest. If he lets go of a lot of seed, you will have a big harvest. And so most farmers want to give away, want to sow as much seed as they possibly can. They do not sow that seed begrudgingly, but they do so with great hope and expectation that they'll be a big harvest harvest. So they put their seed in the ground and they let go of control of that seed because they have faith in what the rain and the sun will do. What they, their faith in what the rain and sun can do with that seed is much greater than what they can do with that seed. The one who gives likewise doesn't begrudgingly let go of what they have, but they have faith In what's out of their control, they have faith that the God above can do more with their seed than if they held on to it. So giving, cheerful giving, is like the farmer when it's time to sow in the spring that has faith and expectancy that they're gonna have a harvest in the fall. The farmer isn't approaching that situation like, "Uh, I feel so manipulated, I feel so pressed into this. No, the farmer's like, man, I want to maximize the amount of seed. I'm gonna give as much, as, I'm gonna give the, the bare minimum amount to my cattle and what we need, and I wanna maximize how much I sow into this field. Just painting a little picture there. Then he says, each one must give as he or she, this is important, has decided. This isn't like being at the checkout, you hear the story, okay, give me your speech, has decided, has decided in the heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It thrills God. Let me just be clear on on something, because especially if you're new to church, new to Christianity, um, what this is not saying that God's affection, that his love is pointed toward those who are good little boys and girls. This is not saying that if you give more, God will love you more. God loves you despite you. God loves you independent of your performance. God loves you because of the performance of his son who died for you, who was buried for you, who rose to new life for you. He, is, he has a uh, eternal affection for you and it's all about Jesus and he is pleased with you. He can't, you can't give your way into God loving you, but what this is saying is that God delights in the man or woman who cheerfully give. And one of the big reasons for this, and this is getting into how do you become a cheerful giver? How do you practically do this? Well, there's some things that a cheerful giver understands that you and I may not always understand if we're not cheerful givers. One of the things that they understand is that God is a cheerful giver. The reason why he delights in a cheerful giver is because he sees himself in that. It's like a chip off the old block. You know, any father who sees in son or daughter, like, oh, man, like this, I can see my, you know, if it's a good thing, you know, like, not the stuff, you know, maybe your wife brings up, like, oh, you know, where did he get that from? Like, well, not that stuff, but like the good stuff, you're like, you're, you're filled with delight because you see in your son or you see in your daughter yourself. God is a generous giver. This is the big thing. This is monumental in how you view giving. Is God a giver? It is his essence. So all other creation accounts, uh, whether they're religious or secular, uh, the world started with an act of power. So it should be no surprise that the peoples of the earth are after power in the form of of you know money or authority or whatever, because that 's the meaning of life, it, whatever we originated from that is where we think life is all about. So if creation started with power, then power must be the meaning of life. Um, the God of the Bible, the one who actually created the universe, that the world was created. Uh, from the overflow of the love that the God had had for one another. The, the love that the, the, that the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit had for one another spilled out onto creation, that we are the creative overflow of God, that we are made in his image. And he is a giver. He is love. He doesn't just do things that are loving, but he loves. And to say that God is love is to say that he is generous. Love It's not a feeling only, it is an action. It's not a noun as much as it is a verb. Jesus said, greater love has no man than a man who lays down his life for his friends. Love is determined by how much you give and you cannot give more than your life. The person who loves the most is the person who gives the most. Uh, In fact, quite Uh, Chapter eight was also written about money. These two chapters in, in in this letter is about money. And he says, I want you to prove your love that is earnest, that is real by giving this gift. You say you love the Jerusalem church. You say your heart goes out to them. The way that that is authentic is if it's matched with a gift. If it's just words, well, they're words, Love is action, it's giving. And it's a big theme in the Bible, by the way, is that what you love is what you give to and what you give to is what you love. Our heart is wrapped around that. It's impossible to love someone without giving. Without giving, and that's all And And Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus, it says of this, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. So this was something that Jesus was joyful about 15 times in the gospel, it says something like this, that he set his face toward Jerusalem and he knew it was going to happen when he got there. The cross was going to happen when he got there and he set his face toward it. He was not reluctant. He was not under compulsion. He said in John 10 that no one takes my life away from me. I eagerly lay it down. Your God is a cheerful giver. You are, um, and to understand that, to, to partner in with this, is to firstly understand that. And it's all a response to what he's done. In the, in the last verse of chapter 9, he says, Thanks be to God for this expressible gift. Inexpressible gift, excuse me, inexpressible gift. Like th- that, our giving is first a response to who God is and what he has done in our life. This is not something that we do out of discipline. This is not something we do out of human effort. Uh, What we are talking about is simply you and I responding to a God who has already been so generous. And to the degree that you see God as a cheerful, cheerful giver is to the degree that you and I will be cheerful givers. And this is huge because if we don't see God that way, I mean, if we're not cheerful, it means at some level we see God is not here to, to give to us, but he's, he's like the lady at Walgreens uh, or the guy at Walgreens trying to exact money from us. He's putting out a boot in front of us saying, hey, you need to give. And he's, 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 he's trying to take something from us, but he's inviting us in to experience what he's like and the grace that he has for us. I was sitting down with my friend Emmanuel last Friday at Panera, and um, not talking about how much we're going to give to the children fund. But uh, we were talking about just God's grace and love and how it impacted. And I I thought it it encouraged me, and I thought it'd be great to share. Would you welcome Emmanuel? He's from our city location.
0: Hi, thanks, church. Um, So my name is Emmanuel, and um, I was born in the most beautiful country in the world. and you'd be almost right if you thought it was the United States. Um, but it's the country of Ghana in West Africa. Um, and I grew up in very humble beginnings, very, very humble beginnings. Um, and majority of people around us struggled to make ends meet, really struggled to make ends meet. Um, and so by the time I was nine, I was convinced I was going to be the president of Ghana. Um, and my plan basically was to basically get all the money and distribute to everyone so everyone would be rich and you know, be able to afford food. Um, and if you are judging me, I was nine, okay. Um, <laughs> but there was, there has been a desire to make change um, and with it came a burden of performance and responsibility. Um, it might also have not helped that I was the only son of four children um, in a very traditional patriarchal African society. Um, and the anxiety that this would come with, um, I, I recall in medical school, I would constantly get um, chills run down my spine. The thoughts of not being successful or not um, getting there or getting more things, um, until you know, I learned about the father's heart for me, um, and um, there is a Vietnamese writer, um, Tich Han, who, who who wrote that we must love in such a way that. The person we love feels free. Um, and this is essentially how the love of God made me feel. Um, and so I came to understand that um, nothing I could do or no performance would ever make God love me less or even more. Um, and also that there was a father who wanted me to do better far much more than I could even want for myself. Um, and the last thing, but even more importantly, was that I learned how to love. And so it became less, more about getting everything. Um, Try rather hard to like also give, um, and you would agree with me that it's it's almost impossible to give what you don't have. Um, but I would also say that it's very hard to give if you don't know what you have been given. Um, and so, you know, I just wanted to share this and like um, ask you guys to lean in. If there is at least one person like me who you know, suffers from that burden of performance and you know, what we give with all this giving and like, I don't have enough, um, you know, there is like, much more um, for us than um, we ever think. And, and the Father's love is always enough for us. And so um, thank you for the attention. And thank you, Brian, for inviting me. Thank you.
1: So it opened up. For him, the, the, the love and passion and generosity toward others was not, you know, someone had a really great presentation on how he should, why he should give or why he should spend. But it was God's love toward him that melted him, that caused him to see this inexpressible gift that he had been given. And that's what, um, that's what cheerful givers know, is they know that God is a God of grace and love and he himself is a cheerful giver. They also know this, that God is able. That God is able. The the very uh, first statement after Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver is that God is able. God is able. I just think it's important that we really let that soak in because this is what cheerful givers know. They know that God is able. What are you worried about? God is able. What are you anxious about? God is able is able. What are you afraid of? God is able. What are you stressed out? God is able. Yeah, but what about tomorrow? God is able. Yeah, but you haven't seen my bank account. God is able. But you don't know my situation. God is able. Crisis hits. God is able. Tragedy hits. God is able. Injustice. God is able. Paul tells us that God loves a cheerful giver and God is able. God is able. If you are a cheerful giver, um, what I know about you is that you have come to the all-important supreme conclusion that God is able. You may not be able, but God is able, that he will supply all of my needs according, not to my riches, but to his riches and glory. We give because not we're able, but he is able. And I trust that he is going to take care of my needs. In fact, every time that I give, I'm letting my heart know, I'm letting my money know that God is able, that God is able and I need God more than I need money. And he promises, he promises to take care of us. So what is God able to do? Well, this is what it says in verse nine. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So Paul says that God is able and then he follows that up with four alls and one every. He, what is God able to do? All. What is God not able to do? None. God is able to do all things. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, in all times, you may abound in every good work. So he says that all grace, meaning that he has given you everything that you need, which he promises to do over and over and over again in the scripture. I mean, it's like on every page of the Bible, he's gonna lead you to green pastures, he's gonna lead you to still waters, you know, strength renewed as eagles, every good and perfect gift comes from him, there's no variation or shadow, all things pertaining to life and godliness he's gonna give you. I could bore you with how much the Bible tells you that God is going to take care of you. He is able to make all grace abound to you. You will have a sufficiency. You will have all sufficiency, which is to say that you're going to be content. And let me just say, there is no correlation to contentedness and how much money you have in the bank. There is no correlation to the job that you have in your level of contentedness. That is when you trust God that he is able you will be in a constant state of satisfaction and it will be for all things in all times so that you will abound in every good work, better translated, that you will have an abundance for every good work. So what this verse is telling us is that regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of how much money you have in the bank, cheerful givers live in a constant state of satisfaction. That's what this is saying. And far from having a mindset of lack, what God has called them to do, if I only had the time, if I only had the money, if I only had the opportunity, far from living with the mindset of lack, you would live with the mindset that God has actually given me an abundance to do all that he's called me to do. You and I have a massive temptation. If I could say what is the greatest temptation to you and I enjoying who God is, this would be it. We have a massive temptation in front of us every day of our life, which is that we can get bogged down into the minutiae in detail of lack. And so we grow in our discontentment, which is to say that we grow in our consumerism. Now, just let me just be clear. We're all in this together, by the way. We all fall in this trap. You know, nobody needs to feel bad because we are in this together for sure. But the cycle that we're in is that we, we feel like we need more, we want more, we gotta have more. We are in this constant state of dissatisfaction. We believe that the vacation around the corner, the car around the corner, the house around the corner, the education around the corner is finally going to get us to that place where we're there. And it never happens. And then we look over our shoulder and notice someone has a better car a better house, a better pair of shoes. Comparison kicks in, jealousy kicks in, and this cycle gets faster and faster and faster and faster, and you feel like you're out of control. And it breeds in you this attitude of I'm just getting by, I I'm just getting through my week, I am just getting I just have enough to pay my bills, I, I just have enough to stay married, I just ha- I just have en- I'm just doing enough to to have a few friends, and you just constantly feel like you're just getting by. And it comes out in your language. Are you drowning? No, but you're close. You're treading water. And so people ask you, how's your job? Well, you know, job's a job. Just just trying to get by. You you optimistic about the future in this country? With this president and that Supreme Court? Thank God I'm going to heaven, can't get there soon enough. And suddenly, you're in this mindset and attitude that God is not good, he is not big, and he is not able. And you can't give because satisfaction is, what. it's another job, it's another house, it's another city, it's another vacation just living for the weekend, can't wait to the next weekend, can't wait to the next vacation. When, When Paul says, I have found a way, I have found a practical way of being satisfied, living in a constant state of contentedness and living as though I have more than I need for everything that God has called me to do And by the way, my brothers and sisters, what God has called you to do is the only thing that matters in this life. That's what he's saying. You will have all sufficiency. You have all grace will abound. You have all sufficiency in all things, in all times, and he means all. He means all. And it's not by getting... It's by giving. It is a full-on contradiction of what makes this, what we think makes this world go round. There's a verse in chapter eight, and I'll end with this. In fact, the band can come up, and you guys can stand just to make me go faster. The uh, (laughs) Second Corinthians eight fifteen. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let me say it again. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Um, you remember manna? You know, like the Red Sea, um you seen Prince of Egypt, right? Okay. <laughs> So God (laughs) parts an ocean, all right? They get through this ocean. A few weeks later, they're like, God hates us, and uh, we have nothing to eat. And so they asked for something to eat, and God, you know, frosted flakes come out of the sky. (laughs) And the command was to take enough for each day, but don't take more than that. And God was teaching them something very important, which is what Paul was teaching here: he is that I am the one that takes care of you. I am the one that takes care of you. And what some Israelites were tempted to do, which you and I are tempted to do all the time is, but, but, but what about tomorrow? Kids, grab, gather as much as you can. Because they thought that it, is w- it was in their gathering that they would be okay and not in their God. And God was teaching them that I'm the one that makes you okay, not your gathering. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little. So if you, if you, if you gathered a whole bunch, you had nothing left over. If you, gather, you didn't gather enough, somehow you supernaturally had everything that you needed. You know what happened to the the manna that they gathered more than they needed in a day? It it spoiled maggots. You got leather seats now. You got heated seats now. Is it working? Or is it have maggots on it and you feel like you need something better and newer. God is a cheerful giver who despised the shame. There's shame in giving. Don't have the car everyone else has, don't have the clothes everyone else has, don't have the lifestyle everyone else has. the joy far outweighs whatever shame Jesus proved it when he went to the cross for you and for me he is a generous giver and he is able he's the one it's not your gathering it's your God that will enable you to live get this in a constant state of contentedness irregardless of the job you have irregardless of how much money you have in the bank He will provide for you and you will have an abundance. You will have all that you need to do that all that God has for you to do. I just want you to know that nothing was said today about what giving goes toward or who it will help. And it does help, but it helps you far more than it helps the people you give to. Jesus, we, we are just amazed that you gave so much that you Died for us. You were buried for us. That you rose to new life for us. God, we we're, we're sorry for seeing you as a taker. You're not wanting to exact something from us. You're not wanting to compel us to do something. You want to free our heart. You want to free our lives. You you want contentment. You want joy. God, we we just want to turn from not seeing you as able as well. You are able. Whatever our situation is, we believe that you're able. God, I pray that Lord, we we would be the community. We'd be a community full of, of cheerful givers. That we would be this, as a community, as a people, a prophetic message to the nations of the world that our God is able, that he is a God who takes care of us and that he is a God who loves the world through us, not because we kept and built something for ourselves, but because we gave away so that what only God could build, can build. God, would you do that through us? We wanna turn from ourselves. We wanna turn towards you we want to enter into the joy that you knew that you know we want to be just like you